0: Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today is episode 44 titled, The Two Greatest Men Ever and the Hypocrites. Now I just want to tell you, there may be some banging in the background. I'm deployed to Africa right now and this is the quietest and best place that I could find, so forgive me. It's my only option right now. So regarding today's podcast, first time I read today's verses, I should say the first time I read today's verses, I was surprised how Christ spoke about John the Baptist. I couldn't believe it. Now, Regarding today, I did summarize and skip around a little bit because today's set of verses is very long. Every once in a while, the subsections and how the verses are broken down, it's just a ton of verses. So some of the information that really can't help us be better Christians, I sort of left out or I summarized. And I tried to extract verses that could offer insight into important topics like how we could be better or role models, etc. So I'll summarize the parts I left out first. And then we'll dive into today's verses. Three short summaries of the verses I didn't include. Number one, Jesus sent some runners to go tell John the Baptist that the Messiah was here. Number two, John was told about some of the great things Jesus was doing. And number three, some Old Testament scripture was quoted to let John know that the prophecy was being fulfilled. So John paved the way for Christ. So if you go back to the beginning parts of the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew... What you'll find is that John the Baptist was actually responsible for paving the way for Christ. And so when when Christ got here and started fulfilling <clears throat> prophecy, he had to go tell John, hey, I'm here, and this is what I'm doing, and everything is on schedule per the Father's intent. So that's all good stuff. Now let's dive into today's set of verses. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 and 18 through 19 says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of the tax collectors and a friend of sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. (coughs) Excuse me. So here Christ is telling us that the greatest man to ever walk this planet was John the Baptist. Now, of course, the wording is born of women. Well, Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. We know that for sure. But it's basically born of men, essentially, right? Because the the consciousness of the Father was put in the body of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole Trinity idea is, right? Colossians two nine. Jesus Christ is the Trinity in flesh. And so he was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ was. Now, John the Baptist, though, he wasn't part God and part man, or 100% perfect man and 100% perfect God. He was just 100% man. And so out of all the men born into this world, John the Baptist is the greatest man who was 100% man. So Jesus Christ is number one, John the Baptist is number two. However, Christ goes on to say that even the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, that's pretty interesting because that tells us that there's going to be status in heaven. It's not going to be just everybody's the same. There's going to be some sort of positions of authority and rulership. And you know this also because the 12 apostles will be placed over the 12 tribes of Israel to judge them and to rule over them. And so you can kind of pull those abstractions out of Scripture to understand that there's still going to be authority and leadership in heaven. And of course, sitting on top of that, numero uno, would be our Lord. So, even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the greatest man on this planet. So that should tell you how awesome heaven's going to be, right? And so now, some of the things I want to look at is if John the Baptist was the greatest man to walk this planet other than Jesus Christ himself, then what kind of things did John the Baptist say about Jesus? So let's compare. If Jesus has such great reference for John the Baptist, let's see what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 says, But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Number two, Mark chapter 1, verse 7 says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of the sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So, two different gospels, same essential message, right? John the Baptist held such reverence for Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, that he knew he wasn't even worthy to untie his sandals or to carry his sandals at all. So, and that's John the Baptist talking about Jesus before he ever met him. <clears throat> that's as he was paving the way for Jesus. So John had great reverence for Christ. Now, what kind of actions or works did John have for Christ? How did he labor for Christ in paving the way? Those very same Gospels make it clear So it's Matthew chapter 3 and Mark chapter 1. So two two quick sets of verses to let you know kind of how John labored for Christ. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 through 6 says, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Mark chapter 1 verse 4 through 6 says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and honey. So as you can see, the two Gospels mirror themselves yet again. So it's pretty clear that John the Baptist was working his tail off for Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we should be doing, by the way. We should be laboring for the Lord's harvest. Now, I know we covered the sacraments last podcast, but did you notice people confessing their sins to John the Baptist? Did you notice that? You see the sacrament of confession not only as its explicit instruction in the book of James, but it's also implicit in the beginning parts of the Gospels as well. So this is where, again, Martin Luther did away with a lot of the sacraments, more than 60%. Confession was one of them that was kept by Martin Luther in the Lutheran church. However, it's gone. It's gone. And the reason for the Protestants justify that is there's only one intercessor... Or any intermediary between man and God. It's it's Jesus Christ. For sure. However, that doesn't make the rest of the Bible irrelevant. James, the brother of Jesus, still tells us to confess our sins to one another when he wrote a letter, an epistle to a church. So that applies to all churches. All the instruction from Paul, all the instruction from James, every single epistle is all instruction for all churches. So no, the Protestants do not have the right to violate Scripture and say, oh, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do confession. I don't have to do communion. I don't have to do any of this stuff. It's like, well, hold on a second. You absolutely do. And so therein lies a contradiction. And we know that anytime there's contradiction, there's hypocrisy. So and you see the hip- hypocrisy at the end of today's verses as well. So this is to me is a good segue. The you know, when you look at people who call themselves Christians but don't strive to do what's in the Bible and they justify to themselves or rationalize to themselves not upholding scripture, well that's a contradiction that makes them a hypocrite, <clears throat> which again is the tail end of today's verses. So let's bridge into that. So one of the things the hypocrites were doing was playing both sides of the fence. So, on one hand, they said John the Baptist had demons because, and this is my wording, he was a disciplined machine. A disciplined machine. Fasting and living off of locusts and honey. However, they also said Christ embodied some of the seven deadly sins. So, calling him a drunkard and a a glutton and was friends of tax collectors and sinners, blah, blah, blah. So, as you can see no matter what side of the fence righteousness was on, because we know John the Baptist was great, they were criticizing both sides. So this is why both John the Baptist and Christ called them a brood of vipers. There was an arbitrary element to their criticisms or judgment. Now remember, judgment isn't a sin. It's judging hypocritically that's a sin and judging without right judgment. So interpreting the tensions of others, etc. So go back to the judgment podcast Um, If you want to learn about what judgment is authorized and not authorized biblically. So the hypocrites had arbitrary elements of criticism of others. So it basically, according to the religious people I'm air quoting here, John the Baptist and Jesus were both outcasts. They were outcast and the religious people were criticizing them because they were trying to do the right thing. It's a pretty interesting phenomena how people who try to do the right thing in this world are criticized so heavily by those who are quote-unquote righteous and good. Even though none is righteous and none are good, only God is good. So, let's keep talking about this hypocritical issue though. The reason it's so important to talk about hypocrisy and the Pharisees and Sadducees, etc., is because the main issue around them is so often misunderstood. The issue wasn't strict adherence to all laws for everyone. So it's not like the Pharisees were walking around impelling everyone to follow the law of the soul at the time. Hey guys, come on, let's do the right thing, come on. It's not like they were encouraging people to do that. They say, come on, you gotta do this. This is what the law says. This is what God wants us to do. This is his will, this is his intentions. Come on guys, we gotta do the right thing. That's not the issue. The issue wasn't that they were so committed to the Mosaic Law that there was strict adherence. That's not the issue. Because that would be called, at the time, doing God's will and following the rules that he laid out. That's not a bad thing when you're following God's rules. That's absolutely the right thing. That's called obedience, not legalism. Now, the issue also wasn't that they were too loose with God's laws. So it's not like they were... Too heavy on the grace side, let's say. Even though we are not to be the arbiter of God's grace nor His judgment. The Bible and Jesus Christ do that. The two forms of the Word of God. The, the issue is not that they were too heavy on grace or too loose with the laws. And say, ah, it's okay. Don't worry about that sin you committed. God loves you. Ah, don't worry about that sin. Jesus loves you. That wasn't the dilemma either. The issue... The hypocritic, excuse me, the hypocrisy was that they were legalistic to others. So they didn't care about their well-being. They just were, they would tie up a heavy yoke on others, but then they would not follow that very they wouldn't put the yoke on their own shoulders, right? So they would point at other people and place the yoke on them, but they wouldn't willingly put the the 613 Mosaic Laws, that heavy yoke, on their shoulders. So it's kind of like they showed grace for themselves by not bearing the yoke, let's say, but they would place the yoke on others. So now that's wrong because we have to... We have to have the same expectations for others as we have for ourselves and we get those expectations for God. So you don't get to make up your own expectations. I don't get to make up my own expectations. We have to carry the same yoke together and that's what it means to do the right thing. That's when you're judging properly and you're encouraging properly. You can't tie up a heavy yoke on other people and then just offer grace for yourselves and say, Oh, I'm righteous and holy. Look at these sinners suffering over there because they're foul sinners. It's garbage. So the Pharisees and Sadducees, that, part of the reason why they did that, this is the rationalization or the justification for why they did that. They thought they were holy simply because they received the law from Moses and they were sitting in the seat of Moses. Now, the modern-day equivalent of the Pharisees or the, the dilemma of the Pharisees would be, and you've heard this quote maybe as a joke, Rules for thee, but not for me. That's what made them hypocrites. That's what makes them hypocrites. Okay? So, the rules for thee have to be the rules for me. And if we don't do that, that means we're hypocrites. So, I also want to make it abundantly clear that there is a difference between a Christian struggling with sin, who genuinely wants to do the right thing, and remains repentant, but is a weak person, versus... A person who calls themselves a Christian, but rejects the teachings in Scripture, or they pervert them, or they teach falsehoods, or they say something like, the Bible's not a rule book, and we're not under the law anymore, but they don't let you know which laws they aren't under, and they'll say, oh, God is love, but they also don't say that God is also light, nor do they explain what light is, nor do they explain what love is, and they, they also don't say that God is logos. So you've got these these all these things that God are that people will sit in a pulpit and say, this is what God is, instead of explaining to them fully what this means so we can be better Christians. Or they consider grace as a permission slip to sin. And maybe there's no contrition. So there's a difference between a rebellious, lawless, falsehood teacher versus a sinner struggling with a sin that is trying to remain repentant and needs mercy from God and the grace of God to overcome that sin. They're two completely different things. Now, this is where everything gets tricky. This is where everything gets tricky. Because people will say, people are so quick. Here's the thing. They're so quick to give the benefit of the doubt to those who are loosening God's laws, loosening or reducing the rules, let's say, people will always give the benefit of the doubt for people who are weakening scripture but they never give the benefit of the doubt for those who are strengthening the existing power of scripture and there's it's it's such a weird phenomena to see because you see you see the prosperity gospel thriving you see this protestant reformation that's turned into 43,000 denominations and 100 bibles that aren't even um, expositionally correct i hope that's a word you have all these problems, yet people are like, oh, grace and benefit of the doubt. It's like, no, 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 hold on a second. There's not going to be any grace for false teachers. There's not going to be any grace for people who, who violate scripture. I'm not showing grace to people who are standing in the pulpit saying you don't have to follow the Bible. It's not a rule book. It's merely suggestions. The greatest command is to love others. That's all, those are all lies. Because the greatest commandment is to love God first with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's rule number one. Rule number 11, the additional commandment that God gave us was to love others as he loved the apostles, right? To love others as he loved the apostles. And he was tough on the apostles. There was accountability. He called Peter Satan. You guys, we've got to make sure we understand the nature of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because as certain pastors have said, people have sissified him. They spend so much time saying, Jesus loves you, that they don't talk about the times where he called they called Peter Satan or the hypocrites, a brood of vipers. You guys, Jesus is no joke. He's not a joke. And the sacraments aren't a joke. And the Bible's not a joke. And obedience isn't a joke. And we have to strive with all of our might to, to strengthen ourselves in relationship to the power of Scripture. So, how we do that is we practice faith, right? So, let's all practice the four pillars of faith, which is trust conviction, action, and obedience. We got to trust the Bible as God's Word. We have to trust Jesus Christ as the Trinity in the flesh. We need to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. We have to take action based on that trust and conviction, and we must strive to be obedient, which is to participate in the process of sanctification. Because you're not holy if you're being disobedient. It doesn't work that way. So, follow the rules, be obedient, trust God, and his will laid out in scripture, not our own. And turn away from false teachers and turn away from hypocrisy. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope everyone has a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.